listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. Open your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. But before we get there, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 starts this way. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The Gospel of Luke, same writer as the book of Acts. He helps us understand that in his first book, that was about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. This book, the book of Acts, is about everything that Jesus continued to do after his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What kinds of wonders and signs? Well, we're about to understand, because this is what we see in the third chapter of the book of Acts. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a difference it seems when we look at Christianity and what it's become in the United States of America compared to what we see Christianity looking like and how the believers are living in the first century. How far we've come when you look at the 21st century compared to the first century of Christianity. And I think it's true that we need a renewal of how Christianity is practiced in this nation. Can I get an amen for that? Can anybody identify with that? We need a renewal of what Christianity is, how it's practiced in the United States. It seems like there's a disconnect, there's such a discrepancy, such a difference between much of the way we live our Christian lives today compared to the way it was in the first century. Now, if that's going to be, it's up to you and it's up to me. The change that's so desperately needed in our church and in our churches and in our nation looks back at you, looks back at me every time we look in the mirror. Be the change. Be the change that God wants to bring about in this world. Be the change that God wants to bring about in this world. Don't leave it up to somebody else. Take it upon yourself. Take it upon yourself to be that man of God, that woman of God, whether you're young or whether you're older or somewhere in between. If it's going to be, it's up to you and it's up to me. In Acts chapter three, verse one, we get a taste of one of the many signs and wonders that were being done by the apostles. This particular one is done by Peter and by John. Peter, James, and John, that trinity, humanly speaking, the three brothers in Christ, 
part of Jesus' inner circle. They were Jesus' inner circle. Jesus takes the three of them up with him to the Mount of Transfiguration, for example, took them aside on multiple occasions and gave them special insights. Well, now Peter and John are continuing their friendship, continuing their ministry together. More importantly, continuing the ministry of Jesus together. And here's what happens. Are you ready? Acts chapter three, verse one. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, that's three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He's looking for some money. He's begging. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as John did, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate, the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. A beautiful thing happened on the way to the beautiful gate. A beautiful, unforgettable thing that we are now benefiting from reading this account that actually took place. Three o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John are going up to the temple to engage in part of the prayer time. Part of the prayers that we read about in Acts chapter two, they devoted themselves to the prayers. They're going up to the temple. They are Jews practicing Judaism, recognizing that Jesus is the promised Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament, prophesied about in all of the Old Testament. And so Peter and John, formerly fishermen, now preachers, now apostles to whom the baton of Jesus was passed. They are messengers of the Most High God, now fishing for men, fishing for women, bringing people to the feet of Jesus. They come across a man who had a problem with his own feet and with his own ankles. And Luke, the physician, takes note. You know, the words that are used here When we get to verse 7, that his feet and ankles were made strong, understand that from a physician's perspective, that this is a miracle that as a physician, Luke is particularly enamored with, particularly struck with. And so this is one of the miraculous signs and wonders that's spoken of in Acts chapter 2, the kind of which caused awe and the fear of God to fall upon all the people. 
This is what Luke is recounting for our benefit today. They're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at the ninth hour. Now, what's interesting about that is we need to pause for a moment and understand some of what was happening at three o'clock in the afternoon. There was a morning sacrifice that happened at nine o'clock, and then there was an evening sacrifice that happened at three o'clock. Now, where am I pulling that from? I'm pulling it from, of course, the playbook from which the New Testament comes, the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 29. Look with me at Exodus chapter 29, verse 37. Here's what was happening in the tabernacle, the precursor. The portable worship service was the precursor, the tabernacle, to the permanent, at least somewhat permanent, worship center. The tabernacle was that temporary portable worship center that was the precursor to the somewhat permanent worship center, the temple. Now, the permanent worship center now is in your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, as the New Testament says. The temple in the Old Testament is simply a precursor, how about that, a foreshadowing, a type, a kind of temple pointing forward to the reality found in your body. That's why what happens in your mind, what you do with your eyes, what you listen to with your ears, what comes out of your mouth, what takes up residence in your heart is important because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you think God is concerned with buildings and campuses as much as he's concerned with human lives and your life in particular, and mine as well, and what happens in the secret recesses of our lives, in every recess of that temple, every location of the tabernacle was given over to God in holiness. And if those are simply kinds and types and object lessons to help us understand the temple that each of us is, the moment we accept Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, then we understand very clearly that there's no area of our lives that can be withheld from God. No, we do withhold things from God, but I'm saying safely withheld from God. There is no area of our lives, no part of our bodies or our minds or our hearts that can be safely separated from God. In Exodus 29, beginning in verse 37, it says this, seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. The altar was being given over to God. How about that? And the altar shall be most holy. The word holy means set apart from something to someone, from the world from any and every other use that it was otherwise going to be given to and given over now to one use and one use only, exclusivity in the service of Almighty God. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning at nine o'clock one of the times of prayer. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, three o'clock, the other time of prayer. That's the time that Peter and John were going up to the temple. 
with the first lamb, a tenth seah of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. A hen is about a gallon, so this is about a quart. The other lamb ye shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma a food offering to the Lord. So when we get to the New Testament, it says we are to spread the aroma of Christ. See how the New Testament simply is an expansion and an interpretation of the Old Testament? Of course, that's what it is. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and then in the temple as well, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. In the New Testament, we are a kingdom of priests, every follower of Jesus. Anybody and everybody who's been washed by the blood of Jesus becomes a priest. And what does a priest do? Offers sacrifices and service to the living and the true God. There's no such thing as lay ministry. You understand what I'm saying? There's no such thing. We've used that word to such a degree that we've created a priesthood within the priesthood. Well, if I'm going to really be serious about serving God, I need to receive a calling. Biblically speaking, the moment you accept Christ, you become a priest. You become a servant of the Most High God. You might not become a pastor. You might not become an elder. You might not teach Sunday school. You might not become a missionary, but you become a priest. God didn't ask you when he saved you, would you mind if I made you a priest? You become part of that kingdom of priests that Peter speaks about in his epistle, one of two, that Peter wrote, one of the same people who's now going up to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon with John. We see that the glory of God is being expanded by what takes place on the way to the beautiful gate, this beautiful thing. And it's really not out of the ordinary. It's the way God operates. Look with me as we continue in Exodus chapter 29, verse 44. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Look at one of the consequences here. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So at three o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John are going up to the temple to participate as Jews, worshiping and serving the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the King of the Jews, the King of all the earth, the King of all the universe, Jesus of Nazareth. And as they're going up there, they see a man who is crippled, from the womb is really what's communicated in the original language. This is something that's important for us to understand in the United States of America where abortion on demand, so easy to get, you don't even have to think about it, you can take a pill and start the abortive process. And what if this person was not born? What if this person were not born? This man who was 40 years old, crippled 
from his mother's womb. The aroma of God himself, the glory of God, would have missed an opportunity to go forth. All life is precious, even lives that we might think might be of no value, humanly speaking. See, this is the problem. It's not for you, and it's not for me. It's not for anyone to determine the value of a life. In modern standards... In the United States of America, where now through ultrasounds it can be determined, the health of a baby can be determined before it's even brought into the world. Very possibly, this man who was crippled from the time he was in his mother's womb might not have even been brought into the world, and we might have just skipped right to Acts chapter 5. There would be no Acts chapter 3. There would be no Acts chapter 4. This outstanding miracle that we are now reading about that resulted in the glory of God and many people coming to know Jesus as their Savior and their Messiah as Jews would not have happened. Be very careful that you do not let the world press you into its mold and conform you to its image. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12 says, think differently than the rest of the world thinks. Church, be aware of the fact that the world and the devil and the flesh These three work together as an ungodly trinity trying to get you to think things about God you should not think. Trying to think things about yourself you should not think. Think things about other people that you should not think. And as the mind goes, so goes the body. That's what Paul means when he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then when you get to verse 3 of Romans chapter 12, he begins, he transitions, and he helps us understand what a living sacrifice looks like. It's a life of surrendered service. That's the whole idea of the priesthood, being a priest serving the Lord. And so Peter and John are going up to the temple during this time of sacrifice that we looked at in Exodus chapter 29. They're going up to participate as Jews, and as they go there, they meet a man who Jesus did not heal during his three-plus years of ministry. They encounter this man who had a significant problem, not able to really take care of himself, so he resorted to begging. And this beautiful gate, apparently it's called that because it stood out from all the other gates in the Temple Mount area. This beautiful thing happens which is something that God is in the business of doing. He's able to take crooked things and straighten them out. You might have junk in the trunk, stuff in your past, stuff in your present that God needs to straighten out. If we will let God straighten out the things that are crooked, a beautiful thing can come out of it. 
whatever it might be. I'm pretty sure that it was not on Peter and John's planner that morning that they were going to heal this particular individual. But God knew the beginning from the end. And all that Peter and John were doing was being surrendered servants to the Most High God, and God is able to use them. You don't know how God's going to use you this week. I don't know how God's going to use me this week. But if we're surrendered servants of the living and true God, the Most High God, God will use us. God will use you. As you're going on your way, God will present before you opportunities to give witness and testimony to Jesus. We just need to slow down long enough to pay attention to what's happening. How ironic it would have been if Peter and John would have said, hey, listen, we don't have any time for that. We're going up to be involved in this prayer meeting. Don't you understand that we are busy as Jews to go and participate in the evening sacrifice and all that was involved in that? We don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. What if they had said that? Why are you laughing? Are you watching YouTube? These men were filled with the Holy Spirit and attached to Jesus to such a degree that they were willing to stop. And they understood that they had something to give, even when they had nothing to give, because they had already given it away. And because they had given it away, God was giving them more so that they could give it away. It's a beautiful thing that happens here at the beautiful gate. That as they're on their way, look what happens. The man, verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he did what he did with other people. He asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. They stop in their tracks and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said an unusual thing. I don't have any money. What do you mean you don't have any money? Don't you understand a thing or two about the ministry of Jesus? I mean, in John chapter 12, we understand that Judas, who was in charge of the money bag, often would help himself from the money bag to whatever he wanted. He would take money. He would steal. So there was a money bag that accompanied the apostles. So they did have money. What happened to that money? And then when we get to John's gospel... John chapter 19, it says this, verse 23, when Jesus is being crucified, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Apparently, this was worth a lot of money, this seamless one-piece tunic. Now, some people who preach the prosperity gospel in terms of physical, material prosperity use this as an example. Well, Jesus had a money bag, so the apostles had money. And Jesus had a seamless one-piece tunic. He would have had to have money in order to have that. So the problem is when we get to here in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John should have had money if that thinking was consistent, if it was biblical as opposed to diabolical, which it really is. See, God gives money to people. He gives you money. He gives me money. And then it's up to you and it's up to me 
what we do with that money. People are into the prosperity gospel, which is not good news at all. It's bad news, twisted and perverted. Think that the purpose of God giving money is so that we can spend it on ourselves. If we get to James, the epistle of James, he says, why do you ask? When you ask, you ask to spend things, you come before God so that you can spend things on your own pleasures. That's not something that God is interested in. When God gives money, when God gives material possessions, it's always to build the only kingdom that will last forever. Yes, by all means, contribute to your retirement account so that you're not a leech on society, especially in today's world where leeching has become such a profession that you become dastardly if you suggest that somebody should take care of themselves. You know, the same Bible that we're preaching from today says if a man does not work, he shall not eat. So let's preach and teach the full counsel of God. By all means, put aside money so that you can take care of yourself and provide for your family. Elsewhere, it says if a man does not provide for the material needs of his family, he's worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. So take care of your family. Take care of your retirement. Yes, give to the church. But be very careful about how you spend money. Not everything that is permissible is always beneficial. These people who preach the prosperity gospel, if you're not careful, you'll be pressed into that same conformity. You'll conform to that wacky theology yourself and you'll begin to have and operate by a sense of entitlement. Well, after all, God gave it to me. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having a nice, thick, juicy steak or having some apple-flavored sausage like we had yesterday, or some whatever it might be, a half rack, a whole rack of ribs. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having a loaded baked potato. There's nothing wrong with having bacon and eggs in the morning. Nothing wrong with celebrating on Easter as a Gentile a nice, delicious, juicy, moist ham. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with going and taking your wife out, men, and letting her buy some clothing and being engaged and attached as she's showing you what she's putting on and affirming her. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's the proportion in which we do those things. Because, you see, Acts chapter 3 happened on the heels of Acts chapter 2. This particular verse is very important for us to understand. In Acts chapter 2, verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Peter and John were part of that. They had already given what they had. They were in a community of unity, giving away what God had given to them. And you know, I don't know if you realize this. You probably don't realize this because it's kind of hush-hush, and yet I'm going to bring it out in the open because it's a beautiful book of Acts example of selfless giving. I don't know who did it. I don't want to know who did it. Because who did it is not as important as why they did it and who they did it for. A few weeks ago when I was speaking about benevolence and how it would be great to have a fund for benevolence here at the church that went to not a building, 
but to the needs of people. Somebody moved by the Holy Spirit decided I'm going to give, not me. They decided that they were going to give $10,000 so that we could use those funds to help people in need. That is a man, a woman, a family. I don't know who it was, and I don't want to know who it was, but that is a great godly example. That is a great godly example of what spirit-filled living looks like. In the course of your life, God is going to put into your hands a boatload of money. And if you don't believe it, go to a third world country where you are already considered rich. Take care of your retirement. Take care of your family. Give to Jesus by giving to the ministries of the church. Be sacrificial. Be exemplary. And one of the primary mistakes that churches do is they get involved in negative debt. It's called positive debt all the time. They buy buildings they shouldn't have bought. Can anybody identify with that? They get involved in material things. How can I say that as the pastor of this church and risk whatever? You know what I'm risking? Being brutally honest before Almighty God. If we can't be honest in the body of Christ, then where in the world are we going to be honest? Churches get involved in buildings and material possessions in the name of ministry, and before you know it, they can bite off more than they chew. They can bite off more than they can chew, and they end up being like somebody who's told, I want you to run a 50-yard dash. Okay, I can do that. I've been training. I can run a 50-yard dash, probably do halfway decent. But just before the gun goes off and the race begins, I want you to run with this 100-pound bag on your back. And then you know what happens? We're not able to sell our possessions. We're not able to give the way the church in Acts was giving, selling their possessions, distributing to anybody as they had need. And what gets sacrificed is the glory of God, the reputation of Jesus. And through that, the ability to lead people to the feet of Jesus in salvation. Oftentimes, our efforts in the body of Christ of replication are hindered because we miss our priorities. And this is why it's so important for a church to have the right vision from the beginning, because if a church gets astray in its vision at any course, listen carefully, it's true in your life too. I know it's been true in mine. Most of the lessons I've learned in life, I've learned from failure, and I'm going to share one of them right now, because maybe if I share it with you, and if I'm honest with you, it will spare you from making the same mistake. Debt, credit card debt, Buying things you don't really need. It's something we all need to recover from in the United States of America. We buy things we don't need. We covet things that we shouldn't covet. We get ourselves into debt to buy whatever it might buy. And as a consequence, we put a heavy weight on our backs and it hinders our ability to run freely in Jesus. That can be true in our personal lives, in our families. It can be true in a church. And we can all justify the reasons why we buy, fill in the blank, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, 
We all have something to give when it comes to advancing the only kingdom that will endure forever, the kingdom of God. You might say to yourself, I don't have $10,000 to give to anybody. I wish I had $10,000, I'd give it. Would you? You're not going to wake up one day and say, if only I won the lottery or if only once I get out of debt, then I'm going to give. If you want to be on the road to being able to give someday $10,000 in secret to the Lord, you've got to be willing to give and you've got to already be in the practice of giving $10 and $100 and $1,000. He who's faithful with little is faithful with much. Why should God entrust to anybody more money if they are not being faithful with the money that God is already giving us? If you do what I did for a long time in my life and waited until someday before you can start giving to God, you are missing out on the joy of giving, the joy of spreading the only kingdom that's going to endure forever. How much money is enough in light of all that Jesus has done for you? How much money is enough in light of all that Jesus is doing for you? Hasn't Jesus taken care of your every need? He might not have given you every want. That's why it's important to make a distinction between your wants and your needs. Paul says if we have food and clothing, that will be enough because Paul understood the idea, the grace of giving. And it's something that we need to understand in the body of Christ today. The idea of deliberate planned giving so that people can receive and the glory of God can be expanded. And so here, what, what do Peter and John do having already given? They understand that the kingdom of God is not just about money, silver, and gold, as many who are embracing the prosperity gospel need to understand is we in the United States of America need to understand your value and your ability to give testimony for Jesus, thankfully, is not wrapped up in your bank account. Anybody and everybody, no matter how much or how little money you have, can be a testimony to Jesus, can glorify God. And here's this beautiful thing that happens at the beautiful gate where this man is looking for money to help in his livelihood. Little did he know that his whole life was about to change because he was meeting Jesus through the faithful servants, the fishers of men, Peter and John. Verse six, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Aren't you thankful that this man came into the world? Whatever he experienced for 40 years of his life, the ridicule and the hardship and the God, why me, questions that would plague his mind, all of that was eclipsed in a moment when everything came into crystal clarity. And he understood at that moment that the entire purpose of his life for 40 years was for this very moment. Everything that's been happening in your life up to this time could be for this very moment or a moment that is about to happen. 
when God at the right time in the right way will make an unforgettable statement that will put the entirety of your life into focus. And not just the entirety of your life, but your life as it's intermingled with the life of Christ to make sure that Jesus is the focus of the people whose lives intersect with yours. This is a beautiful thing that happens here where God makes straight something that was crooked. And this man rises up and praises God and worships God. How about that happening in the temple? The worship of Almighty God taking place in the temple. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. This is one of the examples of the miraculous wonders and signs that were being done by the apostles. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And so Peter and John, on their way to the temple to worship the Lord, to serve the Lord, to give themselves to the Lord. As they're going up there, this unexpected thing happens, this bump in the road, this thing that they had not planned that God had planned, ends up enabling them to do what we're going to read in our next time together, to give even greater glory to God, to take this opportunity that they did not expect and to turn it into something that would have reverberations that we're still reading about to this very day. You never know what's going to happen to you in the course of your life. The unexpected obstacle, the unexpected interruption in your life where God takes somebody else's circumstances and brings them right before you in front of your eyes as you're going on your merry way serving Jesus as that portable temple of the Holy Spirit. You never know how God's going to take your life and cause it to intersect with someone else's life and how you, the person who you think doesn't have very much to offer at all, has everything to offer when it comes to giving testimony to Jesus and spreading the only kingdom that will endure forever. Get out there and be busy today in the highways, in the byways, in the workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood. Be that temple of the Holy Spirit, that priest serving the living and the true God, having your eyes open for interruptions and bumps in the road, things that you were not ready to encounter, but God will enable you to encounter with resounding success if only you will make yourself available to the surroundings where God places you. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit couragematters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.